Welcome to the bookshelf at the end of the universe. I'm your host, Elliot, and today we are talking about The Rhythmatist by Brandon Sanderson. And on the other microphone, Cody. I didn't think I was going to get an intro there, but thank you. Yes, I. that is me. And yes, today we are talking about The Rhythmatist by Brandon Sanderson. Um, so just right off the bat, I will say that uh, Brandon Sanderson is one of my favorite authors. Yes, um, you have read a lot of I've, his books. I haven't read as many as I would like to have, but what I have read, uh, I have absolutely loved. But we will get into that later. So um, I want to start with, um, so give us some information on the publish. Uh, It was published in May 13th in 2013. That's a long time ago. 10 years. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but it's 10 years ago. And it was published by Tor Fantasy. And if I'm correct, that's what almost all of Brandon's I think they by. are primarily his main publisher, yes. And uh, just a quick fun fact, it, the Rhythmatist was going to be called The Scribbler. Yes, that is something that we learned in the afterward, uh, where he was kind of talking about some details about making the book. Um, so this is, now generally on the, on the podcast, we're sticking with sci-fi fantasy. So would you say this is more sci-fi or more fantasy? I'd say it's more fantasy because, okay. like, chalk drawings come into life. How fantasy can you get? I mean, that's it's yeah. So, um, give us before we jump into kind of the the meat of the story here. Um, is there any uh, any content warnings that we need to be yes, aware of? Yes, there's some blood, okay, death, mm-hmm. war, and some missing kids. Yeah. So nothing, nothing too bad. I would, I don't think really the, um. The violence, there's really not a lot of violence. When there is, it's not really that bad. I would say there's one instance where it It's really gets, bad. It, I wouldn't say really bad, but it gets pretty uh, intense. And we'll cover that part when we get yeah. to that part. It's towards the end, and it's really more of an illustration than it is um, pretty the graphic. text. But, um, so give us a little bit of history on, on Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson is an American author of high fantasy and science fiction. He is best known for the Cosmere universe. Mm-hmm. Where in which most of his fantasy novels, most notably the Mistborn series and the Stormlight Archive, are set. Yes. Now he has he kind of came to prominence um, with his completion of the Wheel of Time series. Yes. And so what happened there? Robert Jordan had written the majority of the Wheel of Time, and, and then, then he sadly died. he got sick and he passed away before he could finish it. And his wife actually selected Brandon Sanderson to be the one to go on and finish the series. And, and that, it was because of Mistborn. Uh, it was, I think it was Mistborn and Elantris were the two that, that sold them on it. Um, and that's kind of what really springboarded him into the mainstream. And he's since become arguably the most well-known and prolific sci-fi fantasy author out there. Um, yes. He has written... Lots of stuff. He has, there's actually, he's got a a YouTube channel that's really cool. It's got a lot of really interesting stuff on there about the writing process, about how he works. And he's very uh, organized and structured in how he writes. So he's, that's how he's able to write so much is he's got this very strict system that he adheres to um, that allows him to manage his time uh, in such a way that he can, he can get his writing done and still have time with his family and to do other stuff. So um but again he's he's written YA stuff he's written graphic novels he's written uh stuff that's more adult oriented even the stuff that's adult oriented it's not that it's um inappropriate or anything for kids it's just written at at a higher level that you know someone younger yeah. might not understand everything and and it might be too much and you're not going to find a lot of 
you know, middle school readers or even high school readers that are going to want to drop into a 1300 page novel uh, with, you know, all these different characters, interlocking stories and stuff. Um, is there anything else about it? Is this um, now I, I say this as if I haven't read, I have read it, but I want you to tell everyone. Yes. Um, is this did this win any awards? Is it part of a series? Yes, it is part of a series and it did win an award. If I'm correct, it won the best fiction for young adults 2022. Okay. Um, interesting that it won an award in 2022 for being nine years old at the time. Um, so it is part of a series, yes. And we, he, his second one hasn't come out yet. It, the second one hasn't come out. And I did a little bit of research on this um, over the last couple of weeks and, and what it is. He doesn't want to put it out just yet. He's because of the way the story takes place in a, a sort of alternate America. He is wanting to include uh, indigenous peoples. So the Native Americans who used to live here, um, he wants they're going to be a big part of the next book. But he wants to make sure that they are portrayed um, accurately and respectfully. So he's working with members of those communities to get an understanding of um, of their culture, of their history, so that he can, when he writes them into the story, that he can he can represent them uh, as best as possible. And I really like that. I think that's a yeah, really respectful thing to do. I, I think, think that's, that's the right thing to do. It reminds me a little with what they do with archaeology. Before, like with what they do, sometimes. They're really mean, and they just, like, don't ask the relatives of the person they're digging up, and they just go right into research, but some people, like, hey, do you think I could take a look at your great, 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 I mean, it's, yeah, it's all about respect, and we need to respect people and cultures and history because they're people and they're cultures and it's history, and we need to be fair and accurate and respectful in our in our portrayals of them, whether they're fictitious or factual. Um, so give us a, a, a summary of the book, like a, a spoiler free summary. We will get into okay. spoilers later and we will make sure to mention that we're jumping into that. Yes. That part of the pool. But for right now, give us kind of a rundown of the story. Okay. So Joel wants to be a rhythmist and a rhythmist is somebody who can make chalk drawings come to life and move and sort of have a mind of their own. But, He's not a rhythmist, sadly, and he really wants to be one. And then he meets. Well, he I won't say he meets. He knew Professor Fitch. He knew him from being at the school for yes. as long as he and has, yeah. he helps out Professor Fitch, and that's when he meets Nalazar, who sort of eliminates Fitch from being a professor, sort of. Right. They have a duel. Um, and Fitch that Nalazar challenges Fitch to. Fitch doesn't really want to do it, but he's obligated to. And Fitch also, Fitch isn't good with dueling. He's better at teaching. Right. He doesn't work under pressure like that. And that's what caused him to lose the duel and thus lose his professorship. Um, although as, he remained at the school. Yeah. He, yeah, he lost his professorship. Um, and then he meets Melody, who is mm-hmm. a girl obsessed with unicorns. And they mention yep. that quite a lot. She, yeah, she's... Well, because she is, she is a rhythmist, but she... She's kind of the opposite of Joel. Joel is not a rhythmist and desperately wants to be one. Melody is not a rhythm is a rhythmist and absolutely does not want to be one. So it's this kind of you know they work uh, t- they're working towards the same ultimate goal, but they're also working away from each other at the same time. So it's really kind of a cool uh, character yeah. character arcs there. 
And then Joel later on looks into like case files because he has to, like census records, and he has to find, you know, as we mentioned, they're all missing kids, and he has I to didn't find. Didn't mention that you you forgot the whole prologue. So at the very beginning of the story, yes. there's uh, there's a situation with with kids from the school who start to go missing. Yes, that's very important to the whole through line of the plot. So yes, um, I should have mentioned okay. that. So, but yeah, that's so they start working together with Professor Fitch on trying to figure out what's happening with these kids, and as they're doing that, more kids are disappearing. Yeah, and it's sort of in a pattern, I guess you could say. What kind of pattern would you say? There were the top students at Armedius. Okay, so Armedius is the school that they go to, and yeah, these are they're they're all rhythmist uh, students. That so are the, disappearing. He, so the person who's abducting them probably wouldn't go after like Joel. Right. It's it seems that they're specifically targeting rhythmatists, uh, and only rhythmatists. Yes. So the the story is kind of, you know, working with you know, you're you're watching Joel um work towards wanting to learn more about rhythmatics and become a rhythmatist, and at the same time working towards figuring out what's happening to these students, who's taking them, why are they taking them? What's their ultimate goal? So it's kind of this cool. Um, also, he really hates Nalazar. He does not like Nalazar. Um, Nobody likes him. It's so it's a really cool uh, mystery woven into the the fantasy story that also has elements of a thriller. Uh, it kind of plays in a lot of different genres. So um, yeah, it's 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 a really genre book. There's there's a lot of stuff for people to like. If you don't like if you don't necessarily like fantasy, it's I wouldn't say it's really high fantasy. I would say there's a lot of mystery elements and thriller elements in there that would appease those fans and for fans of fantasy, there is fantasy and, and the chalklings and the rhythmic drawings and the magic system that he uses um I all of that plays into his so that's part of what i really like about Brandon Sanderson. His world building and his magic systems are very very well thought out. And even in a book like The Rhythmatist, which is kind of um, not a part of a huge series of his, it's still built and you can still tell that he put a lot of work into building the world and into building how the magic works and everything like that. And it includes a lot of illustrations yes. throughout the book as you go through. And I thought that was really cool as it shows you progressively more and more complex uh, rhythmatic drawings, that, like the defenses that they use when they're yes. dueling and battling. Um, One of the aspects I really like was when they mentioned the chalklings and the more creativity and aesthetic beauty they have, the stronger they are mm -hmm. and the different types of chalklings. Right. And that's where it gets kind of challenging because when you're drawing these chalklings, like if you're in a battle or a duel, you're probably not going to have a lot of time to make them really detailed if you're focusing on defending yourself. So you have to think, am I going to take a strong approach offensively and draw these well-constructed um you know creatures that can attack if i have that artistic ability or am i going to take a more defensive approach and work on drawing a more complicated defense to protect myself and then you know work with an offensive of more simplistic drawings and i think that definitely plays into melody's character yes because she is uh very artistic and and loves drawing these very detailed uh, as you mentioned unicorns because um, she repetitively says unicorns are majestic creatures, and draws like just snow. Right. No. But when she when it comes to defensive stuff, she's not good at it. So much so that she ends up having to spend her summer while Joel spends his summer uh, working with Professor Fitch on on the missing kids case. Melody is having to 
literally trace defensive drawings because she's so bad at it. She can draw these really, you know, intricate unicorns and other animals and stuff, but she struggles to draw circles. You know, having to like draw the circles over and over reminds me of like at the Simpsons with the chalkboard gag mm-hmm. where Bart has to like write the, write same, the same sentence thing over, over and over. It's a punishment, but it, I mean, for something like that with her, and Fitch even mentions it, that it's, you know, it's to her benefit because by doing it repetitiously like that, you're eventually going to, you know, learn that skill. When you're writing words on a chalkboard, over, that's more of a punishment because you're just repeating the same thing over and over. But for her, I think that was something that was really vital to uh, her sort of learning how to do that. Um, so before we get into spoilers, um, I wanted to go over some, uh, some quotes, yes, non-spoiler like quotes or parts of the book that we really liked. I'll pull up a quote right now. So something, so what I, what we have started doing for our readings, uh, you know, when, when I read with you or when you're reading on your own for these episodes is we have, um, little tabs that we use in the books and we can mark certain pages and certain passages that we like. Um, I color code mine where I use a certain color for, um, you know, a plot point where I, I, I think, oh, wow, that's probably going to come up again later. They're foreshadowing something here. Or when I find it later, I, I just, can mark it and say, okay, I was right. They were foreshadowing. And this is where I, they come back and I show it. I just use the same color. That's fine. I'm just telling you how I, that's how I do it. And then I have yeah. certain, I have a different color for quotes that I liked. Um, so what, what is your, you have a quote. Uh. Bitch raised a finger. The most dangerous kind of man is not the one who spends his youth shoving others around. That kid, that kind of man gets lazy and is often too content with his life to be truly dangerous. The man who spends his youth being shoved around, however, when that man gets a little power and authority, he often uses it to become a tyrant on par with the worst warlords in history. I worry this could become you. So that's a that's a passage that I marked as well, and we read separately. We didn't know what each other was was marking down as important or anything. And I I really like that you pulled that out. Uh, so, what what does that mean to you? That means that I think that revenge, since you might want to take revenge on somebody, and like Fitch said, the kid who spends his youth being shoved around when he gets a little power and authority. He uses it to become a tyrant. So if that kid being shoved around gets a little power, he might use it to uh, take revenge on those people who shoved him around. Right, because you're you're building up that anger and that, um, that hostility for such a long period of time. Now he's not condoning that. He's not saying that's a good thing or that's you should do that. Not at all. Is he saying that? He's just saying that t- that tends to be the case that those who are bullied and picked on and and beaten are usually the ones who will you know if given power later in life will use it for destructive purposes because that's their experience with power now i also marked a section literally the the next paragraph from that um where fitch is is talking to joel um after he kind of you know after fitch gave him that that kind of speech about the most dangerous kind of man joel kind of felt bad and um, he said that, you know, he was just trying to draw his best. Um, this, this all goes back to a, um, a situation that Joel had where he was, um, him and Melody were kind of fighting about their drawing skills. Um, and Fitch says, there's nothing wrong with doing your best, son, Fitch said sternly. Never be ashamed of aptitude. However, the comment you made there, that was not the sign of a boy who was proud of his aptitude. It was a boy who was proud of being better than another. So I think 
that's important because it's there's a difference between being proud of what you do and being um, braggadocious, you know, yes, banding it about. I'm better than you. I did this better than you, or I did this better than you. That's not a nice thing to do. That's not a kind thing to do. It's fine to say, "Hey, look at this thing I made. I'm proud of it." Um, but when you say, "Look at this thing I made compared to the awful thing you made," you know, that's that's not something we should do. We should, you know, be supportive of each other, and and even if we don't necessarily like something that someone else did, we don't need to, you know, dunk on it and and talk about how bad it is. We can just say, "Hey, that's you know, that's cool," and just kind of leave it at that. Yeah. Whether it's a book that we read that we don't like or somebody, you know, a friend of ours makes something that we don't like or a family member. You know, we, we always want to try to be as kind as we can with people yes. and, and treat them fairly. Um, and then I found a little humor in here that I thought was sort of funny. Uh-huh. But it might not be funny to some people. So if you, it's about kimchi. So if you are like, if you don't like people making fun of your food, then you might not want to listen to this. But um, Mother's Gonna Kill Me, he thought as he finished. His answer in the last question with the wisecrack about kimchi and how the wild chocolates had probably fed to the tower to escape its stench. Mm-hmm. So, I've I've not had kimchi, but uh, I I do understand it has a very strong odor. Yes, so that's um, something that I'm not too familiar with, but I'm I'm sure that there's some truth in that. Now, I'm glad you brought that up because I did mark down something when I was reading this. So again, this whole story takes place in a sort of alternate America where the the land has been broken up into sort Isles. of islands instead of states. They're all named generally after existing states or uh, combinations of states, which I thought was really cool. But um, it's, it also seems to take place in a sort of past America at the same time. There's a lot of steampunk elements uh, where they use a lot of um, spring-based mechanisms and gear-based mechanisms. But they also mentioned uh, on page 176 of my—I'm reading a hardcover copy— um, uh, they mentioned it, uh, daguerreotypes. Now, I'm pretty sure you probably don't know what those are. No. And a lot of people who are listening probably don't know what those are. Daguerreotypes were the earliest version of photographs. They were taken on a sort of like a metal plate, and they would ha- you'd have to stand super still for minutes. Otherwise, if you moved, it would blur the image. Um, so back when they did photography in the early days, you would see, you know, these people would have to stand super still for a long time to get this picture to come out right. Otherwise it came out blurry and you can generally see, you know, um, certain elements will have a little bit of a blur to them where the person is moving or things in the background are moving. But I thought that was interesting that he put that in there to kind of represent how, what era this would take place in if it was in modern day America. Yes. So I thought that was cool as well. That being said, Let's go ahead and talk about um, spoilers. So if you're at this point and you haven't read the book and you don't want the ending ruined, which I would highly suggest you don't ruin it for yourself because it's, it's a good ending. really good ending. Sanderson is known for his really good ending. They, they have, he has this, this thing um, in, in a lot of the people who read Sanderson will refer to it as the Sanderlanch, where towards the end of the book, you get all of this stuff coming at you at once. Like the whole story starts to really unravel and, and um, all om- the threads come together and everything. It's like an avalanche yeah. of, of plot and it's like, characterization. It's like Brandon Sanderson just like picked up the rhythmatist and like, here you go, here's the ending. Here, yeah, here's everything that you wanted to know here. It all comes at one time. So um, if you haven't read the book, um, I'll, I'll hop in. Um, post recording and and give a timestamp to that you can skip skip forward to. But for now, stop here, skip to where I tell you to skip in just a second. 
Or if you don't want to listen, or if you just don't want to uh, listen to this anymore, just maybe like go ahead and listen to it. Well, they may want to come back at the end. Well, yeah, so. you may want to come back. But, um, okay, yeah. so, so again, this whole thing is based around the mystery of these missing students. And yes. when we get the prologue for this, um, the prologue gives us a really interesting look into what's happening. It involves this girl named Lily, who we haven't met yet. Obviously, it's a prologue. We haven't met any of these people. Um, but she finds herself face to face with the abductor, uh, that we've are searching for throughout the book. Now, something I marked earlier when I was reading this, um, are you, you know what foreshadowing is? Yes. So why don't you explain what foreshadowing is? Foreshadowing is like when they bring up something in the past that'll event like that that it comes up back again in the future. Right. At the beginning of the story, they give you a, a hint, a little glimmer of something that they may focus on it a lot and kind of really put it out there like, hey, look look at this, look at this, it's going to come back. Or it may be really subtle and just, you know, you don't really think about it at the time, but it sticks in your brain. That's exactly what happened here for me. I, this wasn't something that I don't think he was pushing out, but I caught it and I thought, this is going to be, that's a really weird thing to highlight when you're talking about this. So there's a section in the prologue. It says Lily tried to scream, but found her voice caught in her throat. Important later, a figure stood framed in moonlight, a bowler hat on his head, a short cape covering his shoulders. The, the bowler hat is what stuck out to me because that's a very specific type of hat. And what is a bowler hat? So it's kind of a, it's a short hat that it's got a round brim that kind of goes all the way around a little half dome on the top. Oh, very it, common. It's a, it's a pretty common hat. Is it like the stuff those British guards wear, but just no, shorter? No, those are, you're talking about the royal guards that had the big fuzzy hats. Those the are totally that, different. The ones that never smile. Yeah, those are totally different. So two things right there. This is in the, in the first, you know, second page of the book. And there's two huge clues here. The uh, founder voice caught in her throat. And the bowler hat. The bowler hat's going to come back a little bit sooner than the, the voice thing. But I, for, like when I was reading it, I read a lot of mystery books. And so when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is, this is there for a reason. Yeah, I don't read a lot of mystery as, as much as he does. So later uh, in chapter 11, um, Joel was wandering around. And he's, you know, he's, uh, there's a crowd that's gathered because another student had been kidnapped. Um, and there's this, there's a section that says Exton stood to the side wearing a red vest with dark trousers and a matching bowler. That's where my brain was like, wait a minute. I remember bowler cap. I jumped back to the prologue and I thought, okay, now I know where this is, this is coming from. So the reason I bring this up and I finished the book before you. Yes. And I was very curious to see how you thought. So throughout the story, who is it? Who do we think you both and I, both of us thought the same person was responsible at first, which was... Nalazar. Nalazar. And then he sort of was responsible at the end. Well, he was, and we'll get there. But the story is kind of set up in such a way that as the story progresses, you start. I started thinking more and more, you know, Nalazar seems too easy. It seems too obvious that it would be him, you know? And I was thinking, like, yes, it seems too obvious, but what if that's what brandon wants you to think right exactly that it's you know that that's something called occam's razor um so the idea of occam's razor is that oftentimes in a situation where there's uh you're trying to figure out the answer to something oftentimes the simplest explanation is the accurate one so generally your thinking is now is ours responsible but when i read that paragraph i thought okay the bowler hat came back it's not 
explicitly there and like in your face kind of thing, but it's there. So my thoughts started being, okay, well, maybe it's Exton, right? And I think you started to think the same thing as the story progressed, and that's yes. exactly what happened. Is that you know we go on and on through the story, and then we get more details, Exton and then gets arrested somehow, right? Um, but then also later in, uh, I don't remember what chapter, it's on page 198, um, there's a scene with Nalazar and, and Joel at, watching him, and Nalazar puts on a top hat. So to me, that just sealed the deal for me. I was like, okay, now I know it's not Nalazar because he doesn't wear a bowler cap. He wears a top hat. So he's not the one kidnapping the kids. Is he responsible for something? Maybe. But I was thinking at this point, I don't know about you, but given his history with uh, the war in Nebraska and him ending up over here, I was thinking he was, you know, involved in, like he knew something about who was doing it and he was working independent of the police to try and solve it. Yes. And that he was just kind of a, a jerk. Like he was just mean by nature. Um, and that, that line right there kind of made me think like, okay, that's, it's, it's got to be Exton. It's not Nalazar because Nalazar doesn't wear the same hat. So on and so forth. Um, and, and then, then you find the lines of, did we get, did you mention the signs, lines of silencing? That, that's later. Uh-huh. Um, so another thing that stuck out, excuse me, another thing that stuck out to me, um, later on page 293, uh, Melody's talking about her brother and how her brother went missing when he was in Nebraska and that he was um, part of Nalazar's team. So again, connecting the dots here. I still don't think Nalazar is responsible for this. I think he's working like he felt guilty about what happened to Melody's brother and that it's, there's a connection between what happened to her brother and what happens is it happening to the students on campus. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking more and more, this is, you know, Nalazar is not responsible. Exton's responsible. And then eventually Joel gets targeted, right? Yes. And what happens? Where does he, he, he escapes? Yes. And where does he go? If I'm correct, I think he tries going to it. I think he goes to his father's uh, walk. That's well. That's earlier. I'm talking about towards the end of the of the book oh. when he's actually targeted. He gets trapped in the house, um, in the in the building. He gets trapped, and he's you know the lines of uh the silencing yes signs are there, but he manages to get out and he runs into a building. And who's in that building? Harding, I think. Exton. Ex- oh yeah. Right. So Exton is in the building, and he manages to draw a line of forbiddance that keeps out the chalklings, but Joel notices that it wasn't really well done. That this is a, you know, it, this is a guy who seems to be out of practice, out of form. So now we start getting these ideas of like, well, maybe it's not him. Because all of these attacks so far have been, you know, very well done the chocolate's not necessarily very well done, but like the everything, the, the the silence wards and all that kind of stuff is coming from a hand that at least knows what it's doing. And Exton doesn't seem to be that person. He seems to be yeah. out of practice. Um, Exton's pretty clumsy. Right. Now, eventually, uh, and I know we're getting towards the end here, but eventually we find out that it wasn't Exton. Exton was basically, you know, there to mislead us the whole time. Um, and the police officer, uh, Harding, yes, who has been investigating the whole time, is ultimately the one that was responsible. Now, there was a huge clue that jumped out to me before we actually know that it is Harding, and I caught it, and I was really, I 
it was one of those times where I, you know, even as someone who reads a lot of mysteries and I, I like when I can solve the puzzle, I like it even more when I can't and I, and I finally put the pieces together. There's a line on page 316 where Harding is talking um, after they've arrested Exton and he's explaining what's going to happen to Fitch and Joel. And he says, we won't be done until we know who Exton was working with and where he hid the bodies, uh, where he's keeping the children. Right there. That slip where he's, you know, he's saying he hid the bodies. Oh, no, wait, where he's hiding the children. That tells me he knows something yes. that the rest of us don't know, that only the person responsible would know, and he accidentally let it slip. Yes. So that was huge for me. I was like, okay, 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 now I got you. So we end up, we find out that Harding was responsible. And sort of. Sort of, yeah. So that's what I wanted you to kind of explain. What was, what was the deal with Harding? Harding... As he mentioned before, he was an arithmetist, mm-hmm. and he was able to draw arithmetic lines somehow. Right. And I, when I saw that, I was like, "Wait, what?" And then later on, he mentioned that a forgetting, like some weird chuckling thing, possessed him. Kind of a shadow person, is that yes. what they refer to it, it as? Possessed him, and then that's what was able to make him draw the arithmetic lines, yep. and that's what made him want to. I guess, kill those children? Well, his whole plan was to um, bring all the arithmetic students to Armidius and, um, and then basically take them out while they're all in one place. So he was trying to guide them. And that's why he was getting so upset. Harding was getting so upset when certain parents weren't listening to him when he was saying, like, hey, the students would be safer with me on campus. Um, and, you know, there were little hints and clues throughout the way. And I never picked up on them until the end there when he let that part slip. But um ultimately though what did we learn about nalazar because nalazar was not totally clean on you know his hands had some blood yeah. um nalazar was also sort of responsible for it nalazar also had a forgetting with him if i'm correct well he kind of was the forgetting, the forgetting. he was kind of he was the creature that he is is trying to understand um, how the arithmetists are working and to kind of manipulate them into a weakened state. So that's why he was so much more focused on a different aspect of arithmetics than, um, than Fitch was. It was because he's trying to plant this seed in the kids, in the students' heads, so that he can go back to Nebraska and get the opposing army, who he's really kind of working with, give them the advantage because they'll know what the weaknesses are of the students. So that's why he challenged Fitch to take over his class and be able to have that accessibility to the students yes. and say, all right, I've got you where I want you. And now I can start, you know, systematically making you guys weaker so that when you go out to the front lines in Nebraska, then you're in trouble. And then there was also something that was hinted back a while back with when they showed the uh, chalk drawings at the scene of Lily Whitney's disappearance. Mm-hmm. They showed a line that was they said it was a cross between a line of vigor and a line of forbiddance. Mm-hmm. And and then they mentioned that later on. And I was like, okay, so they are bringing stuff back. That's good, because I wanted to know what that line was. Right. So I think the last thing that I want to bring up um, before we kind of wrap up for all of this. Oh, you know what? I had one question. 
Do you think this would work as a movie, TV show, or graphic novel? Okay, so yeah, that's a good... Um, yeah, I forgot to mention thank that. You for, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I honestly, I kind of don't want it to be any of this. I like it as a book because I can imagine the chocolings in my own kind of way, even though they're drawn in the book yes. for us. Um, I kind of I kind of like to imagine them like in in the field in battle or on in duels I like to imagine them a certain way and I think making it you know a visual thing kind of takes away that element from yes. from it for me at least so I personally I would I would just be fine with it just being a book series yeah um I I also said graphic novel since I think that would work pretty well I mean I could if I had to if if it had to be adapted and and I got to pick the one medium that it was done in I would say graphic novel um, what about, and you, you would agree? You would yes. say graphic novel? Okay. So my final question for you, um, now that we've kind of gotten all the spoilers, well, ah, this might still be kind of spoilery. So, um, how did you feel about Nalazar from the start of the book to the end? I hated him. You hated him from the beginning and then I hated him. still through the whole thing. I get it. I get it. He's, he's not, he's not written to be a, a nice character that you like. And I think, I'm, I think you, you got it right. I don't think there's a wrong way to look at it. I'm the same way. Didn't like him from day one. Didn't like him at the end. Didn't like him in the middle. Like, I hated him. Uh, like, as soon as I was born, I was like, cuss you, Nalazar. There, there's always something about he's, you know, even when he's not, you know, when you think he's working on the side of finding the kids and helping them and all that kind of, he's still, there's still just something about him that I just don't, yeah, I didn't like it. it. it ha- he has a creepy demeanor. Um, so, it, if you, you liked the book. Yes. I liked the book. Um, what would you recommend to people who have read this? What other, what other books do you think they would like? Any, you, Brandon, any Brandon Sanderson or any type of high fantasy? Um, I would say, I mean, as far as Brandon Sanderson, definitely, it, this is a good yeah. example of his writing. And I, th- I think if you want to read more of his stuff, I think if you're um, middle school or higher, maybe like 6th, 7th grade and up, Mistborn, fantastic i've read the first book in the series um it's great i need to finish the first and second trilogies um i think the way of kings and the stormlight archive is a bit much i think that's more for older readers just because it's it's very long there's a lot going on it's fantastic series though um but every one of those books is well over a thousand pages so it's a it's a commitment and there's a lot happening but it is well worth it i think for younger readers um, the Alcatraz series is a good place to jump into. Starting no, with, it's not about the jail. No, uh, but Alcatraz versus the evil librarians. Um, that would be a good series to get into. The the Cytiverse series, um, which I think is more sci-fi. That's uh, Skyward is the first of those books. Those are supposed to be really good. And maybe those are something that we can jump into for the show later. Um, but... There is, like I said, there's a lot of steampunk elements. So if you liked the like the gear horses and the spring-based trains and all the kind of machinery that's in here, yes, steampunk. Look into that. There's a whole that's a whole subgenre that people are really really into. I don't know too much about it myself, but I know it's very popular and, and there's I've, a lot of people I've seen, who like it. I've seen how they dress. It looks weird. I think it looks pretty cool at times. If it's you know, yeah, I, I think it's sometimes cool it looks it. cool, but then sometimes you're like, wait, why are you wearing like? clocks all over your body i mean you got to read more steampunk and find out what they're into um okay so do we do we have a decided book for next episode have you, um, do you know what you're gonna read next i'm gonna read sword art online sword art online okay that one's a little more for 
like middle school readers maybe. Okay. Not elementary since it's a little more intense. Okay. So maybe we'll we'll see. We'll put in the description of this episode what our next book will be. Yes. So for those of you, if you haven't figured out uh, with our last episode, what we're going to, the way we're going to do this going forward, we're going to do one book every two weeks. That way we have time to read or Elliot has time to read. I'm not going to, I can't read all of the books with him. Yes. Uh, and you as, as listeners have time to pick up the books and read uh, along with us. And, and then, then we'll, in between those weeks, we'll bonus we're going to do these kind of bonus episodes. Like last week we did our favorite books and series. Um, we'll do some other stuff uh, as we go through and, and we'll kind of figure it all out. Um, if you have any questions or comments, our email is in the description of the episode as it is with all of them. If you have any five-star reviews, maybe we might give you a shout-out. Leave us a five-star review. We'd be happy to, to take it, and we'd be happy to give your name out. Um, but that's it for us for this, for The Rhythmatist. Go find it. Uh, where did where did you get this one? I think you got this at, in Houston when we went to Houston at Murder by the Book. Yeah, I think that's where I got it. So shout-out to Murder by the Book in Houston. That was a cool, like, mystery-themed bookstore. You got a lot of books there, but you haven't read them. So I've, go I've got so many books I need to read. But... Find this book. It's you know it shouldn't be too hard to find. You can probably find it at like a half price books or your local independent bookstore, Barnes and Noble, uh, public library. Go to the library. I can't. I love the library. It's one of my favorite places. To Although go. you check out too many books. I do check out too many books, but I try to read them as much as I can. Yes. Uh, so that's it for us. We will see you all next week with a bonus episode. Um, and happy reading. You wanna you wanna go maybe to the intergalactic. All Medius Academy? Ooh, I don't know. I have to go through the test to see if I'm if I can be deemed arithmetist or not. It's okay. Just give them just fake an ID, say you all. Uh, I don't think it works that way. All right. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Happy reading.